Amos chapter 8 will be our consideration today. I'll read uh, Amos uh, chapter 8, 14 verses. This is the fourth vision uh, of the five. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them, pass by their transgressions. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord. So many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample on the needy, and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account and everyone mourn who dwells in it? and all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. On that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only sun and the end of it like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. Last week we ended with uh, uh, Amos's interaction with Amaziah, the priest uh, of the false uh, religion that they had set up. And uh, Amaziah told him, go away. Don't prophesy here anymore. Just go back to where you came from and prophesy there. We don't want to hear it. And we looked at God's five decrees concerning Amaziah. And I just wanted to finish up and say, first of all, that it wasn't a spiteful judgment that was pronounced against Amaziah. Amos didn't say, oh, you're going to tell me to go back to where I came from? Well, then this is going to, what's going to happen to you. The judgment on Amaziah was going to come anyway because he was a false priest. He was leading people astray. It's not spiteful. It's not like, oh, you don't want me to go, so now this is going to happen to you. Those things are coming to this man anyway. And this, the second thing I just want to underscore, because there is a common disregard for elders, pastors, and uh, teachers in our day. There's a misunderstanding. Uh, we uh, can... Uh, learn from this because we need to learn the appropriate 
honor and respect that we're supposed to give to uh, and demonstrate to, to pastors and teachers in, in our day. Uh, Hebrews 13 verse 17 goes as far as saying, obey your leaders and submit to them. Oh, they made a decision? You follow the decision. A child is told, obey. Your parent told you, don't touch that. You're not supposed to touch it. And submit to them. Submit. People, people in the world nowadays hate the word submit. The Bible says a woman's supposed to submit to her husband? Yeah, a couple of times. I hate that. That's old. That's outmoded. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Double honor? What are you talking about? Well, at least give single honor. Start with single honor and work up to double honor. You know? We, we have to understand. There's a saying, right? Uh, that that uh, people say, oh, they're just men. Right? And, and they're just men. Well, they're just men, that's true, but they're, but they're gifted and they're called and they're chosen. That makes the difference. If you sit in the pulpit and you're not gifted and called and chosen, then you can't say, well, they're just men. Men are just men at best. That's one of those things. Well, they're just men at best. Well, okay, fine. But they're gifted and they're called and chosen. Look what, Isaiah, look what Amos said. I was nothing. Who started the process? The Lord called me from following the sheep. That's what I did. I dressed figs so people could eat them, and I followed sheep. But the Lord made the difference. Many people have suffered spiritual consequences. Gene and I know a man who set his uh, whole life against the authority of the elders. Forty-some years later, he is a bitter, nasty man. And he can't get out of it. He has a website that trashes pastors, that trashes churches. He can't get out of it. Because something happened that didn't... So he said, well, I'll call myself to my ministry. He actually thinks it's a ministry to warn people about wicked pastors who are all over the place, evidently. But he's been in this bitterness and gall of spirit for decades. So it's a reminder to us to honor those who labor in, the, in teaching and the word. It's a, it's a reminder to us that's not the spirit of this age. So we come to chapter 8, and here's the fourth vision. It's similar to the other ones. This is what the Lord God showed me. Yahweh Adonai told me this. It's similar to the plumb line vision with questions and answers. Amos, what do you see? Here... He sees a summer basket of fruit, and it's unanimous, it seems, uh, that writers say that the punishment has now become ripe. And the Lord uses a picture of a basket of summer fruit to show the pro prophet that Israel is ripe for judgment. Uh, there's also uh, two words that are similar uh, in the Hebrew that, that would make it sound the same. Uh, the, the word for ripe is gaitz. And the word for the end, it would be pronounced gets. They would almost sound the same. But, but that's the idea. It's coming to an end. Revelation has a fruit picture also of grapes. 
the grapes are gathered, they're put in the wine press, and the blood comes out, and it's up to horses' bridles for, for 200 miles. Revelation 19.15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce, fierce wrath of God the Almighty. You say, well, this doesn't sound good, but it says that this person wears a robe, and on that robe is the, is the two things. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So, so it, it, it's done. It's over. The, the end has, has come. Ezekiel has a passage in Ezekiel 7 where he, he emphasizes the end. Ezekiel 7, 5 and following. Thus says the Lord, disaster after disaster. Behold, it comes. An end has come. An end has come. It has awakened against you. Behold, it comes. Your doom has come to you, O inhabitant of the land. The time has come. The day is near. A day of tumult and not of joyful shouting on the mountains. There, there, there's more, there's more, but Ezekiel is pr pressing the same message. Uh, the, the time has come. God's going to uh, do something. Uh, the object, the object is my people Israel. This was a, a characteristic of this section that, that uh, from chapter 7 to chapter 9, the uh, vision section. Uh, they said they were God's people, and God, by his covenant, said they were his people. But he's specifically saying it's, it's coming on them. The, the people in Jesus' day, the leaders didn't understand it either. They were arguing with him, and they said to him, we have Abraham as our father. That's where they accused him of, of being a, an illegitimate child. Where did you come from? To the blind man in chapter 9, they reviled him saying, you're, you're his disciple, uh, we're disciples of Moses. They identified themselves as God's people, but they, they had a false adherence to the forefathers. In Amos, as well as, in Amos's day, as well as Jesus' day, uh, true obedience, faith, and worship was required, and Israel missed it. They missed the day of their visitation, Jesus calls it, in, in both cases. We looked at that barren fig tree. That, that's the point. So, some commentators say that's the point. There's no fruit. Israel bore no fruit. It didn't bear the right fruit. And God's trying to get to them and say, look, here's a, here's a basket of fruit. This is what you are. But it's not good fruit. It's fruit that shows uh, that you're ripe for judgment. Uh, verse 2 and verse 3 have these chilling details of what's going to happen. He'll never pass by their transgressions again. Uh, just like the vision in uh, chapter 7, verse 8. They failed the plumb line. They failed the measurement of the plumb line. And God says, I'm not going to pass by. I'm not going to have mercy anymore. Even though two visions before that, Amos petitioned God and God said, I'll relent. And then time came and he said, no, now it's going to happen. Notice the songs in the temple. And the palace uh, will become wailings uh, in that day. In chapter 5, verse 23, God said, take away your singing. I don't want to hear it. In chapter 6, verse 5, he called them idle songs. Bethel set up the false temple. Imagine being surprised and rebuked 
that your worship wasn't being heard, that God didn't like it when you sang hymns. Imagine that. He declares it, and it's surely to happen. He declares his will through Amos's visions. Uh, the application to us is every time we pass through the door, we should check, why am I here? I'm here to worship in spirit and in truth. I'm not here just to click something off, check something off. Yeah, I was in church today. I had to go. In spirit and in truth, how do I come in here? What do I do when people are praying? What do I do during the hymns? What do I do when we're here in the word? And we can just check it at the door. Lord, if there's anything that's in there, get rid of it. Because I got two hours that I'm going to meet with the living God and his people. And I can't waste that time. Now, verse 3, there's various translations. I, I like the ESV. It's very terse. It's dramatic. And it has, it has finality to it. It uses exclamation points in it. It says, so many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere, silence. It, it, it's powerful. Uh, the, the New American Standard actually puts italics where it, it says many will be in italics, the corpses. So if they took the italics out, it would say many corpses. It's almost the same thing. In every place, they'll be cast forth in silence, or he's thrown them forth in silence, but the, but the pieces are all the same. There's going to be many dead bodies everywhere, and they're going to be thrown about because in a battle, you, you get thrown about. You get killed in a different place. The picture that we'll look at, remember that house, 10 people died, and the one guy, where was he? He said, I'm, I'm as far away in the house as I possibly can get. And in that house, you could look and you could say, well, two people died in the living room and three people were killed in the dining room and four people were killed in the kitchen. But that's what, that's what a battle is like. You, there's bodies everywhere. Conquering armies, just wherever you were slaughtered there, there you will stay. I, I've done some study on the, the Battle of the Alamo. And, and there was uh, Colonel Travis and... and, and uh, and uh, Colonel Bowie, David Bowie, or not, Jim Bowie, <laughs> Jim Bowie, and, and Davy Crockett. And they came to, to uh, sacrifice their lives to, so Texas could build an army to fight against Mexico. And they did it. But if you read it, they'll tell you Colonel Travis died on the wall. He was slaughtered over there. Davy Crockett was killed doing this, and Jim Bowie was found here, this or that. They were slaughtered in different places, thrown everywhere. And then there's silence, and that fits with, with everything that God has been saying. I don't like your worship. I don't like your singing, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to create silence. It's, it's a terrible thing. Silence, or this hush, that is the last result of, of, of this judgment. All worldly talk is gone. All false worship is gone. All their songs are gone. There's silence. The passage parallels the one that we have mentioned already. Ten killed in one house, so many dead. The burrier or the burner comes, 
because there's bodies everywhere. You can't, you can't take time to bury 10 bodies. You just burn them to, to just get, get rid of them. And silence, you remember in, in chapter 6, it said, don't mention the name of the Lord. Now they get the idea. They don't even want to mention it at all because they've, they've been uh, judged. A bustling city and a temple to a deadly quiet uh, under Yahweh's hand. And then next, in verse 4 through 6, he uses agriculture, which parallels the summer fruit uh, and uh, uh, puts uh, words in, in their mouth and uh, talks to them uh, in 4 through 6, agriculture and judgment. He says first uh, to hear this, Hear this, you who trample the needy. And that's what they did. They, they oppressed the poor. They, they looked at the poor and they said, oh, let's take advantage of them. Uh, here's a description of their uh, sinfulness. They trample on the needy. They bring the poor of the land uh, to an end. There was widespread oppression of the poor and a dominant characteristic of the sin of almost all the prophets talks about oppression uh, of the poor. And then here's the conversation or their attitude that God says that they have. Verse 5, saying, here's what they say. When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale? That we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances? That we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of wheat? Does that sound like you? That's what God's telling them. Does it sound like you? That's what you're thinking about. That's what you say. That's what you want to do. And, and God knows it. Does it sound like you? So their conversation is, when is the new moon going to be over? When is the Sabbath going to be over? It's a, matter, it's a matter of time. It's very important that we think about that. It's a matter of time. Uh, John Trapp has some excellent, excellent words, very picturesque. He presses upon no man, neither will he accept of that service that is pressed out of people as verjuice out of a crab. And I found out that verjuice is a sour juice that comes out of a crab apple. And usually nobody sits down and says crab apples are for sale. So that's what, they, that's what they make. He says, God's not forcing you to, to do this. But God's service is pressed out of people sometimes like this sour juice. You, you've seen people like that. All his saints are free-hearted. All his soldiers are volunteers. They welcome the Sabbath as that holy man did who went forth to meet and salute it with Come, my sweet spouse, I dearly have longed for you. These people couldn't wait till the Sabbath was done. They couldn't wait till this feast was done. They wanted to get back to their business. Trap goes on and says, we should pass the Sabbath with singular delight. Singular delight. Walking into Christ's garden of spiritual duties, whereof there is no 
there is so great variety for the good of the soul to breathe into itself and, and, and be sated with it. That's what it's for. He says, and, and then we're taken into Christ's wine cellar, and he says, after a holy manner. And, and we're inebriated with divine consolations. We, we felt that a little bit in the men's meeting. We talk about God's faithfulness. And, and, and after a while, you could say that. I'm inebriated with thinking about God's faithfulness. We saw so many verses that talked about God's faithfulness. But that's what he says. It's like going down to a wine cellar. Boy, you got some good stuff here. It's like going to church on the Lord's Day. You've got some good stuff here, Lord. You've got good stuff for your people. They find no more relish in holy days and duties than they do in the white of an egg or a dry chip. You, you know, the English have fish and chips. So they're just a white of an egg. What's the white of an egg? It's nothing. Well, you need the yolk. A dry chip, the work they do at such times for fashion's sake or fear of the law. That's why they're there. Well, I've always gone to church, and I, don't, I, want to put, I want to put myself in the seat because I don't want to get in trouble with the Lord. It's a dead work, in the, as the apostle call it. They sit in the stocks when they are at prayers, right? They sit in the stocks, and they come out of church when they are at prayers and when the tedious sermon runs somewhat beyond, they come out of church as prisoners who get out of jail. I can't wait for this sermon to be over. Don't you know it's three minutes after 12? You only have 20 minutes, Art. Come on. But you see what he's saying. They cannot tell how to wear out the Sabbath which therefore they wish over and constantly violate, either by corporal labor or else by spiritual idleness. <coughs> and then he's, he, he's going he, to sum up. What would they do to keep an everlasting Sabbath in heaven that are so troubled or even tired with so short an attendance on the Lord's Day? What are you going to do in heaven if you don't enjoy this? It's made for our enjoyment. Not without a world of willful distraction, such as spoil and a fly blow their performances so that they stink at the nostrils of the almond. A fly blow as you throw flies into it. Oh, here comes another. <laughs> he says that the people are like people that think that time goes slower on the Lord's Day than any other time. <laughs> but, but that's not. The day was set apart to be blessed and to be sanctified. And our goal is to keep it that way. Our goal is to use it that way. It's a picture of what we'll do for all eternity. And, and these people, they've turned it around. They've turned it around. But it's just consistent, isn't it? No other gods before me, I have false gods. The name of the Lord, I don't use the name of the Lord, I use Baal's name. I use Asherah's name. I use other names. The Lord's Day? Sexuality? Oh, you can't tell me this. I don't know how many times people in, in Walmart that were caught stealing said, I spend a lot of money in this store. Okay, good. You can rationalize anything. 
but the person, but this person that he's talking about, it's all about time. And what the person is saying is God doesn't tell me how to use my time. He doesn't tell me who I can sleep with. I don't want him to tell me what I can steal or not steal because I spend a lot of money in this store. And if it comes to lying, then I have to lie. I get cheated on my taxes. They take too many taxes, so I'm going to cheat. And they, and they rationalize. It's all about time. God doesn't tell me how to spend my time. And what they want to do is go back to their sinful life. Go back to their sinful life. It's tragic. It's tragic, but Nehemiah, who's post-exile, who's post is dealing with the same thing in Nehemiah 13. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of good and sold them on the Sabbath to the people in Judah and Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you're bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. They didn't learn the lesson. Seventy years the whole nation was gone. They came back. It was absolutely destitute. And they started doing the same things. Nehemiah actually shuts the gate and tells people who are hanging outside, if you don't get out of here, I'm going to come and lay my hands on you. We're going to have a battle. But God goes on. They deal deceitfully with false balances. And uh, we've looked at that before. A false balance doesn't have to be off by much. If my balance for a pound is only 15 ounces, after 16 weights, I have a whole pound of goods that, that, uh, that I've cheated people out of. That's the idea. That's what they can't wait to get back. They can't wait to buy the poor for silver. It almost sounds like human trafficking. They, they can't wait to buy the needy for a pair of sandals. The, the needy are, that, uh, are at their mercy. Well, I'll give you some sandals. You be my slave. And they sell the chaff of the wheat. Now, how do you do that? It's a good chaff. This is, the best, this is the best chaff you can find. It's on sale today. But that's what they did. And that's, what the, that's the words that God put in their mouth. This is what you're saying. We, we have to remember, uh, uh, we have to remember to get all the distractions out of our minds for the Lord's day. Jesus told Martha, there's one thing necessary. And Mary has chosen the good part. Well, well Lord, don't you understand? Thirteen people just came to my house. Right? Gary tells Jan, can I have some friends over? Sure, how many? Thirteen, they're right there at the door. They're coming in now. <laughs> so that's what Martha did. She's trying to serve. She's trying to help. But she's all like, there's no reason to get bent out of shape, is there? But you think, look at the picture. And Mary's just like, eh, I'll sit over here. I like listening to this. But, the, but there's one thing necessary. There's one thing necessary. There's one thing necessary. You have to hear about your salvation. 
We have to hear about our, our, our part in eternal life. We have to hear about repentance and faith. I can't be all distracted. Do you, do you see what Amos is, is doing? He's talking about the heart. Russ, Russ correctly talked about the apocalypse and what people think, right? I worked with guys that said, are you ready for the zombie apocalypse? Right? It's some kind of terrible, horrible thing that's going to happen. But it just means revelation. It just means something that's not revealed is revealed. And people will use the, the word Sabbath like that before, like all the Sabbath. Like the Jews coming out of a crab apple. The Sabbath, Sabbath, Sabbath. It just means rest. God wants you to rest and enjoy him. That's what it means, rest. Oh, I thought it was a bunch of rules. No, it means stop working and just rest and enjoy your God. It's simple. But what did they do? Oh, I got to take care of this. Tomorrow I got to work. I got to be at work at 1230. So that means I got to get ready. And half the sermon is gone. Point number three. Oh, what were the first two points? Were there any points? Well, sometimes he doesn't have points. Well, you just missed two-thirds of the sermon. What, what, what are you going to do? What are you distracted about? What, what is the necessary thing? But here comes God's action and judgment. And here's, we talked about it. I will and on that day. I will and on that day. He says in verse 7, I will. He avows it. Yahweh has sworn by the pride of Jacob. And this is an amazing irony, I think. I think the writers are, are right on it. It's irony. How do you swear by Jacob's pride? How do you swear by Jacob's pride? Because Jacob's pride is always there. What did he swear by before? He swore by his name and he swore by his holiness and they didn't listen. But pride is the issue. Some versions use excellency, but it doesn't seem to fit. Pride is the issue in Israel and Jacob. Hosea 5.5, 5, the pride of Israel testifies to his face. My pride talks back to me. You're proud, you're proud, you're proud. Hosea mentions it again. Chapter 7, verse 10, the pride of Israel testifies to his face. Obadiah 1.3, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in a lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring us down to the ground? I'm safe. I've got a safe place here. God already uh, addressed Jacob's pride in chapter 6, verse 8. The, I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his uh, strongholds. Their pride is their sin and their ideas that they were, uh, that they were still somehow uh, God's people uh, stirred his, his anger. Uh, the ironic evil twist to God swearing by the pride of Jacob is that he already swore by himself and his name. Chapter 4, verse 2, he swore by his holiness. Chapter uh, 6, verse 8, he swore by himself. Uh, we can't comprehend the height and the depth of God swearing by his holiness or God swearing by uh, himself. It's the highest surety, and his holiness uh, shows that. And, and Motir says the irony of it is that he swore by his holiness, his own basic unchanging nature, and they took no notice. He has sworn by himself, amplifying the oath 
by calling their attention to his omnipotence as a redeemer judge, and they took no notice. And Motir goes on to bring out the irony. Well then, here is something that is surely imperishable, the pride of Jacob. So God says, you didn't listen to me when I swore by my holiness. You didn't listen to me when I swore by myself. Well, I'll swear by your pride that this is going to happen because you think your pride is surer than what I told you. The people of Jacob, their own obduracy, which there means hard-heartedness or not yielding, may succeed where the divine changelessness failed. What a terrible thing. Uh, later on, he's going to talk about people that swear by the guilt of Samaria. And it's the same thing. They're proud of their false religion, and they swear by their, their false religion. And Amos and God are, are speaking scornfully. I'll swear by your pride because that's something that's sure and constant. It's as if they're saying that. The content of the oath is surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Hosea 8, 13 and 9, 9 now. He will remember uh, their iniquity and punish their sins. Uh, their iniquities and their many sins will be held to account. Verse 8, look at the things that happen. The land trembles, everybody mourns, and there will be a rise and a fall like the Nile. Well, the rise and the fall like the Nile, uh, you can't stop it, can you? You can't stop the, a giant river from... We, we lived near a tidal river in New Jersey. I think it was number five on the list of rivers that were changed the most. And it, it would be three feet different some. And you would wonder, how does it do that? Because it emptied into the Delaware and the Delaware goes to the Delaware Bay. How does a, how does a river change three feet? You can't stop it. What about Nicole? What about Hurricane Nicole? We read yesterday, the, the beach that we love, severe damage. Could you get out there and say, okay, stop, stop tidal waves, stop wind. You can't. So that's the picture. You can't stop it. God's judgment will rise and fall like those storm surges. Chapter, uh, I mean, verse 9 and 10. Here's the first text that points to that day. On that day, declares the Lord, Yahweh Adonai. He's, he says it over and over again. He, he, he narrows down to the judgment, and there's eight things that are going to happen. The sun will be dark at noon. The darkened earth, the earth will be darkened in broad daylight. I'll turn your feasts into mourning and songs into lamentation. And, and we mentioned it yesterday at the, the men's meeting. It struck me this week. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations, and it's about exactly the same thing. I'll turn your... I'll turn your songs into lamentation so much that you'll write a book about it. That's what God said. Sackcloth on every waist. It's the picture of repentance, and God's going to force it. Joel mentioned sacrifice three times. Put on sackcloth and lament. God says, I'm going to put it on every waist. I'm going to give you a new change of clothes. You talk about all the luxury. You talk about your beds, and you talk about your couches, and you're talking about this. But I'm going to change that. And you're going to have this mental and physical irritation of wearing sackcloth. Isaiah 3, verse 24, instead of a rich robe, you'll have a shirt of sackcloth. There'll be a baldness on every head. 
Isaiah says, uh, chapter 3, 24, he continued, instead of well-set hair, baldness. Baldness was a sign that either you made an oath or you were uh, suffering. And God says, I'm going to put that right on you. Uh, the seventh thing, like mourning for an only son. Think about that. That's complex, isn't it? That's my only heir. That's the only son I had. Now I'm mourning for them. That's the only one that can carry my name. Now I'm mourning for them. But that's my only son. That, that was the object of my parental love and care. That's my only son. But think about it. It's as if God said, I'm going to make you like the Egyptians. That night when the Israelites left, there was many a mother and father crying because their firstborn, every firstborn was taken away. God says, I'm going to make Israel like, like Egypt. It's terrible. The end, it will be a bitter day, he says. A day that leaves a bad taste. A day of bad and not of good. And then he comes back and says, take notice, verse 11 and 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh Adonai. It's sure. It's absolutely. But this is different. And he turns it and he says, the worst famine is coming. But he says, it's not of bread or water but of hearing the words of God. You said, seer, go home. Go prophesy someplace else. You said, I don't want to listen to the reproof in the gate. And God says, okay, I'm going to make a day when you won't even be able to find God's word. Do, do you realize that's happening in our day? Do you realize that you can go see false teachings? Do you realize that you could go see a clown show. Somebody that we knew, they had a, they had a, a, a pastor who was the prop pastor because every week they would come with a new prop and they would teach their message because they had a new prop. I use props. It's a contrast with what we saw before these people I just want the Sabbath to get done I got business I got stuff to do I got deals to make I got chaff to sell I don't want to hear God's word and God says okay you won't we should hang we should hang on God's word we should read it process it and put it put it everywhere however we can Isaiah says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. What comes from the lack of God's word? More sin. They rejected the vision, more sin came. They didn't believe the vision, more sin came. Uh, this is what they wanted. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks. And now, verse 12, people can't find the sea. Uh, I mean, people can't find the the word. They wander from sea to sea and they run to and fro to seek God's word. And I don't know how many times, uh, either at Trinity or, 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 or here or in New Jersey, people would come and they'd say, finally, finally a church that preaches God's word. Well, how many churches have you been to that don't preach God's word? What, what, what are they doing? 
Oh, they have this band, or they have this, or they have that. I heard a pastor say one time, I, I, I've been here so long because I, I, I keep my messages so short, they like it. Yeah, that's great. It'd be good if it was a popularity contest. The end result, they shall not find it. You reject God's word now, there'll be a time maybe that you won't find it. Proverbs 1 says the same thing. Wisdom calls out and says, I called, I called, I called, I called. And then calamity comes and trouble comes. And wisdom says, I called to you, don't call to me. Don't call to me in your trouble because I'm not going to listen because you didn't listen. People are starving for uh, God's word right now. Uh, they rejected it. And Yahweh sends uh, a, a famine of the hearing of God's word. You, you can't talk about God. Remember that. They said, don't talk about God. Silence. Be quiet. And then uh, uh, we'll wrap up with this. There's great trouble to idolaters. It's another in that day, verse, verse 13. He knows the future and controls what will happen. He says, your lovely virgins and your young men will faint for thirst. Well, where, what, faint for thirst, that means there's no water around. That's right. You, you want to talk about the next generation? What are they going to do? Uh, they're just going to be fainting for thirst. If you keep sinning, that's what the next generation is going to have. Afflicted with, with judgment. Joel said, lament like the virgin wearing sackcloth. Uh, and, and people will just be uh, surprised uh, with the return of Christ, won't they? Well, well Jesus who? You, you can talk to people that don't have a Bible in their home, that never heard about Jesus, that never read. They've never been to church. They never plan on going to church unless there's a funeral. Wear their church, wear their Bible, wear the only words that they'll ever hear. Well, we have to stop. It didn't finish as much as I, I wanted to, but uh, we'll stop right there. What a terrible thing not to have it, and brethren, what a... What a great thing it is that we can feed on God's word three times today. Amen. Three times. And we can say, now I, I can't wait till next week. I'm going to read. I'm going to be devotionally attached to my Lord all the, all the week, but I can't wait to hear what he says next week. What's Amos going to say? What's Mark going to say? What's the next part of Revelation going to say? You see the anticipation. That's how, that's how we should be, anticipating to, that God would draw near to us. Put those building blocks together. Put that glue and mortar together so that, that we would be able to persevere in the day of sin and trial. And then enjoy him forever. Eternal rest. That's the goal. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for these things. We're thankful for your care over your people. We, we fear all these things that we... Uh, learn about your judgments, Lord. We fear that our country, the nation, many nations, the whole globe is rightfully under your wrath. And we would say, Lord, in wrath, please remember mercy. Be merciful to those who don't know you. Bring revival, bring preachers, bring as many as you would, Lord, to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.